Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast, where we review games that are incredibly expensive, like Descent, and games that cost... How much does the game we're reviewing today cost? Zero. Zero dollars. <laughs> because we're looking at Regicide. You can play it with a 52-card deck, which I guess would cost two or three dollars if you don't have one. Or uh, what is it for the official one? Fifteen bucks? It's fifteen dollars. And, and well worth it. The art looks awesome on this one. Yeah, yeah. I definitely like the art. But... We're going to be talking about that, and we're also going to do a little design discussion on uh, micro games and small games and like quick affordable games, just getting into uh, the tiny sector of board games in general. And do we want to cover the controversy around this one a little bit? Uh, sure. I mean, I, I think we've, we've weighed in <laughs> whether people wanted us to or not. So yeah, what is it? The Gaming Goat? Is that right? Yeah, he had some things with the, uh, another Kickstarter. So they are affiliated with this game. They are distributing it in the United States, I think is where it is right now. Although I don't think there are any copies available in the US, so it's not a big issue right now. But they are the US distributor. They had some controversy with some white power symbols on their fishing game. Yeah, and you could even say potential white power symbols. I think the biggest controversy is how the guy handled it. Uh, Jeff Bergen, I think his name is. Like, personally, if he had just been like, whoops, sorry about that, and changed it, I would have been like, okay, good to go. But instead, he just kind of did a lot of not-so-great behaviors and treated people in a not-nice way, and that's not what I want to support. <laughs> sure. So because of that, we actually had this scheduled to review a little while ago, and we decided not to review it at that time. And we pushed it back now because the original publisher, Badgers from Mars, who doesn't have a U.S. presence, and that's why they're working with the U.S. publisher – pulled their contract from the gaming goat. So because of that, we decided, hey, we could cover this again. Yeah, and, and feel free to spend your all's money however you want, but we just didn't want to kind of, you know, in a way, our coverage, even though it's not meant to be marketing, it is a form of marketing, <laughs> unless we say we absolutely hate a game, and even that could be seen as marketing. So yeah, just not something we wanted to do, but glad they uh, split, glad we can uh, talk about this one. But before we get to that, any uh, games you've been playing recently, Peter, that you want to chat about? Well, I was just playing Super Skill Pinball. Yeah, Super Skill Pinball 4K. Yes, you told me about this one a while ago. And, you know, it's a competitive game, so we normally don't talk about it. But it's, I mean, let's be honest, it's really a solo game. And that's how I was playing it. And it's a lot of fun. It's really good. Jeff Engelstein, typically his games are one step too much for me. But this is a really straightforward, really simple, and really fun roll and write. So, I mean, Jeff Engelstein hasn't always hit for me. Even though I like him, he's a great guy. I've actually played League of Legends. We were on a uh, team together in League of Legends. So, I mean, I really like Jeff personally. Just hadn't liked m many of his designs in the past. And I'm not a huge fan of roll and write. But this one combined those two things to make it better for me than either of those independent factors, which I, I don't always love. Yeah, and those, uh, this is my favorite roll and write, I think, as well, because I tend not to like them either, but I think the theme really works here. I mean, I did a whole video review of it in a playthrough on the uh, non-streaming channel. But yeah, definitely a fun one. I'm glad you got to give it a try. And you're absolutely right. I mean, it's competitive in theory in that you can compare points. Yes, <laughs> you know, exactly right. basically it, <laughs> which is not untrue for pretty much all the roll and writes that are competitive. But yeah, this one does not change that up. 
Yeah, and we may review this in a, in upcoming weeks because we have done a little bit more solo coverage here, and it certainly falls in the category of solo games. And let's be honest, there's not nearly as many games releasing as there has been in the past. So rather than review something nobody wants to hear about, maybe we'll just start reviewing some of the top solo games and or revisiting some other games. Like I'd like to go back and revisit Spirit Island now that there's been two expansions as well. Yeah, no, I'd love to, like, yeah, there's some cool solo games I want us to cover. Like, once Final Girl delivers, Final Girl, I want you to play that one. <laughs> you are all over that game. That's because it's great. You're going to like it, dude. I guarantee it. All right. Well, that's good to hear because, I mean, I love AJ. Yeah, people know I love Van Ryder games. I mean, they obviously published their first game, so they're near and dear to my heart. But I did not love Hostage Negotiator. When I like Hostage Negotiator more than you, but I like Final Girl way more than Hostage Negotiator. <laughs> okay, well, that's good to hear because I was worried that it was just going to be a reskin. And so uh, now I can't wait to play it. Nice. Yeah, as for me, you might have seen I just did uh, Void Fall. I did a playthrough with David Turtsey. That's one on Kickstarter right now. 4X with solo and cooperative play. Very good, although pretty heavy. <laughs> Let's say more importantly, 4X with Mind Clash. And I think those two things together have led to holy cow blowing up on Kickstarter day one ridiculousness. Yeah, and I'm glad. It's a very good game. Like, is it going to be my favorite with how heavy it is and how long it is and how many icons there are? No, although I will say I learned all the icons pretty quickly. But it's definitely a good design. I'm looking forward to playing it more as it comes along. And then uh, I guess I got uh, Fireteam Zero. I got that in a trade recently. That's one that Colin always recommends as a like one-off or I think it's three scenarios in a row. Uh, quick playing dungeon crawler. Very similar in the rules to Doom. Or not Doom. Uh, Gears of War. Gears of War, the Fantasy Flight one. So I'm really excited to play that, but I haven't actually played it yet. And, and an odd one. <laughs> I actually uh, borrowed Seventh Continent from our friend Jerry, which is one that I have like a love-hate relationship with. But I'm not sure where the hate came from. I, mean, I kind of know. But playing it again, I remembered where all the love was. I think the hate was like the only thing on my mind. That game, yeah, I actually decided, like, I was having so much fun with it, I decided to do a playthrough and a review. I haven't found a spot to, like, fit them in the schedule, because it's kind of an older game. But Seventh Continent, it surprised me. I was like, man, I even played Curses I'd played before and knew every nook and cranny of and already knew how to defeat them. And I was still having a fun time. Well, that's probably why you're having a fun time. Because the frustrating part of that game and the part that you're forgetting is the part where you're running around looking for stuff. No, no, no. I, I, I also, the, the video I did is my first playthrough of a new scenario. And I was having a blast just putting around and dying. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all have stories. <laughs> okay. But uh, yeah, a few things we're playing. Before we get to our main event, the review, let us thank a few of our Patreon supporters. If you don't know, it costs uh, money every year for us to put on the podcast. We have to pay for the games we buy. We have to pay for equipment, lots of equipment between the six of us. So we really appreciate the support of our Patreon backers. And this week, we'd like to thank Winston Forrest, a co-op lover, uh, Ben Parker, my friend from high school and college, co-op champion, and Bradley Newville, co-op fan. So Winston, Ben, and Bradley, thank you. Thank you to everyone. And, and thank you to anyone who's kind of a part of our community in general, whether you're on our Discord, listening to our uh, podcast. Uh, watching either of our YouTube channels, the streaming or the non-streaming. It, it really uh, matters a lot to us to have you all just there to chat with and, and participate and let us know what you like and what you don't like. We appreciate all of that. 
And with that being said, we're doing some conventions this year now that the world's opened up at least a little bit. I know it's still a little scary out there, but we are going to be attending Origins, which actually just happened. So you probably missed me. But if you did see me there and said hello, thank you so much, because that means a lot to us. And we're going to be going to PAX Unplugged as well. At least that's the plans right now. And so, yeah, if you see us at one of these conventions, please come up and say hi. Don't be nervous. We are going to be wearing one-stop co-op shop merch everywhere. So uh, we should be easy to find. Yep, I'm very excited. Uh, PAX is one of the only big uh, cons I've been to, and I'm going to go again. So that's always fun. Yeah, and it's nice to get Mike out there. But Jerry and I will be at uh, Origins. Jerry, Mike, and I will all be at PAX. So super excited for that. Yeah, I don't do a lot. (laughs) My kids are a little bit younger than Peter's, and it's still hard to get away from them. Well, not only that, but you're also teaching. So when they're over the summer, it makes it a little bit easier. But when it's in the middle of school year, it certainly makes it harder. I know that. Yeah, yeah. But all right, let's get into Regicide. So uh, is there a theme for this one, Peter? I guess you're... Yes, I actually, that's what I was looking up before we started. I looked up the definition of Regicide, and Regicide's (laughs) definition is the action of killing a king. It's a noun. So, yep, you're trying to kill the kings in the deck of cards. (laughs) Yep. Well, yeah, so first you're, so basically you're fighting the bosses, which are jacks and then queens and then kings. You've got all the rest of the cards at your disposal, plus the uh, two jokers as jesters, which work differently for solo or cooperative. This can be played one to four player. And uh, the players will have cards in their hand. And on your turn, you play a card. It's going to, uh, a little bit later in the turn, deal its value in damage to the boss. And uh, each of the face cards has a different life value. The jacks are 20, queens are 30, kings are 40. But then additionally, based on which suit it is, it's going to give you a bonus. Spades block the boss's return attack as they hit you back. Hearts get cards back from the discard pile. Diamonds draw cards back into each player's hand. And clubs do double damage. And basically, whenever you're not blocking, the boss hits you with, and you have to discard cards whose values add up to that amount or more. And you just go back and forth like that. You're playing cards and trying to defeat them. They're hitting you back, forcing you to discard cards. If anybody ever has to uh, discard a card when they cannot, if they can't suffer the full damage of a boss, all the players lose. But if you can progress all the way through the jacks and the queens and the kings, and by the way, you like recruit the jacks and the queens and the kings, you get them into your deck to use as super hitters against the other people, uh, then you win the game. Yeah, easy as that. So if this is your first time joining us, thank you. And what we do here is we talk about our top five things of the game, starting with number five, which is the least important, and work our way up to number one, which is the most important. And I'll get us started with my number five, which is the game is easy to teach and learn, and it's nice, quick actions. And it plays really quick. Basically, you're playing a card, maybe a couple cards. We'll get into that in a little bit. I know we didn't get into that in the rules, but you may play more than one card on your turn then the enemy does their damage back to you, you move on to the next player. So it's nice and quick to play, and it's easy to teach. I mean, Mike went over it here, but if you were seeing it in live in person, it would make it so much easier to understand because you'd have a quick reference sheet in front of you that tells you what each suit does, and that's really, you know, the important thing. That's the hardest thing to learn in the game. Beside that, you're just trying to hit life totals with the cards. Yep. I mean, I definitely agree with that 100%. It's going to kind of come up for my list later. Uh, my number five is the boss immunities. So something I didn't mention is that when you're facing a boss like Jack, Queen, or King, whatever their suit is, that suit's power no longer works. So like when a spade boss is on top, then your spades will no longer block attacks. And this is a mix for me. I think it does lead to some interesting like hand management. It does create greater tension in the game because maybe like a bunch of your hand is suddenly not going to work. 
but it contributes to something that I'll talk about more later, which is the luck and the randomness and the swinginess of the game, especially for diamonds and spades, I find to be most problematic because spades block damage, so you have to discard your entire hand, and diamonds let you draw new cards if one of you is about to like run out and not be able to take the damage you'll be dealt. So uh, having either of those bosses can just be a little frustrating sometimes when it just uh, tanks your game just kind of by the feeling of luck. But I still like the idea and the concept, although honestly, if they just cut it entirely and the boss immunities did not apply, I would probably like the game the same or better, even though there would be a little bit less choice involved. Well, yeah, and we'll get to this later on. I do think, well, I'll I'll just get to it later on. Uh, So let me move on to my number four, which is the Jokers. And the Jokers work different in solo and multiplayer. In solo, they're kind of a get out of jail free card. So you have a different number of cards in your hand based on player count. And so in a solo game, you have eight cards. And basically what a Joker does there is if you ever need to take damage and you can't, or if you need to play a card and you don't have one in your hand you want, basically at any time, you flip over one of those Jokers and you use it to refill your hand. to. Or actually, I think you discard all your cards and then refill your hand up to eight cards again. And so it's a nice get out of jail free card there. In multiplayer, the way it works is you play a Joker, and this actually only works at three and above players. You discard a Joker to basically ignore the boss's immunity. So there you go, Mike. You can ignore the boss's immunity if you play a Joker. Yay! (laughs) Uh, And then it moves on to somebody else's turn without the boss attacking you back. So it's a way to pass the turn around to somebody else at the table and ignore their immunity for the turn. So Jokers are interesting the way they use them, and... It's funny because it could just be a throwaway card, but they really find a way to incorporate it in the game. And I think it's clever what they did. Yeah, I like those two. They didn't make the list, but uh, I agree. That's a cool little concept in the way it's used differently. Uh, My number four is the cooperation in the two to four player game, which is a con for me because I don't feel like there is much cooperation. Uh, at least for me. So they do say very specifically in the rules, you're not allowed to say anything about your hand or anything about what you might want to play. And I often like that in games. If you've heard other reviews, I'm a generally a fan of limited communication, but I like limited communication when I feel like it serves a point or when I feel like there are a lot of clues you can give, like something like the crew, where you can only communicate one thing about your hand each round. I think that's great. Something like quirky circuits, where you can see the backs of the cards and you can kind of judge what they might be doing. I think that's great. I think there are lots of cool ways to do limited communication. This one felt like they just didn't want it to be too long with players talking or too much alpha player. I don't really know why they did it. But uh, yeah, here, I don't feel like there is much co-op. You're just kind of playing cards and you don't really know what's in anybody else's hand. And it's cool when they can do things that work with you, but you can't really plan it or discuss it. So it just kind of felt like non-co-op to me, like I'm playing four player solo in a way. So I played the game with Terrence on the stream channel. And if you watch, we ignored this rule almost completely. Oh, okay. Well, th- th- then it would be better. Then I, <laughs> I'm going by rules as written. But yes, if you if you ignore the talking rule, I would like the cooperation more. And, and I don't think it ruins the game. It does make it a little bit easier, obviously. But there are things you can do to make it more difficult. Now, that's not one of the points in my list. But you could easily add five life to each of the bosses, whatever else. You could do things to make the game a little bit easier or a little bit more difficult. Now, they don't provide you those in the rules, and that's one of my complaints, but it's easy enough to figure out what to do, right? You have them do five more damage, or you have them take five more damage, whatever it is. It's easy enough to adjust for that, because I did find when we were talking, the game was a little bit too easy, but at the same time, you and I both like to win co-ops, right? We're not those people that love super hard co-ops. And I agree, if there's no communication at all, it really does become very multiplayer solitaire. And I love games like The Mind, but it's not even like I can read your mind. And it's not like I can go, 
well, I wonder if he has any diamonds or maybe we shouldn't play diamonds because of whatever. I don't know. I agree with you. I, I think that is not the best choice that they could have made. I think they should have made the game a little bit harder and allowed communication in the game. But my number three is the pets and pairs. So what is a pet and a pair? A pet is an ace. You could play an ace with any other card, and it will add one to the value of the card. But more importantly than that, it will also add its suit. So if you played a club and you played a 10 along with your ace, that would be a value of 11, and you would use the clubs to double that value to 22. And if you use something uh, spades as the other one, then it would also block 11 damage. So it does both suits as well as adding those two numbers together. That's what a pet does. A pair, and actually it's not only pairs, but it could be three of a kind as well. As long as you have multiple cards of the same number and they add up to 10 or less, so two fives, two fours, two or three threes, two to four twos, you can play all those together as one large group of cards and they do the same thing. You add all their numbers up. So if you played all four fours, you'd add up to eight. And it would do it would trigger every single suit. That's the cool part about playing pairs and pets. I think it makes it a lot more interesting. It's fun to try to save up to make some of these cool combos. And so for me, it was a total pro for the game is being able to add cards together. And it makes the low valued cards not as bad as they would otherwise be. Yeah, and again, that's going to come in a little bit uh, later on my list. But my number three is uh, focusing on the suit powers. And yeah, this is a full-on pro for me. I think uh, it is very cool kind of how they each have their importance. Spades will often be the first one you want to play, except against a spade boss, because it'll block the damage from them, so you're not having to discard as many cards. Clubs are great to finish bosses off and just uh, get a ton of damage on them. And then hearts and diamonds kind of have the synergy, because uh, diamonds only let you draw from the deck, but if the deck runs out, you can't draw any more cards. Hearts take from the discard pile and recreate or go on the bottom of the deck with some number of those cards. So I think it's fun to kind of uh, strategize how you want to play these out. Again, in your own mind, unless you're breaking the rule of communication, <laughs> strategize how you want to do these things. And, you know, and also pay attention to how what other players do. And this is where some co-op is in there. Like if I see that Peter's hand is almost empty and he's going to probably die on his turn, then I might want to play that diamond. So I think the, uh, the suits also kind of do invite at least a little consideration of your fellow players. So I think it's really smooth, really simple, really quick to teach. A nice little kind of flair on the uh, usual poker suits. So I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, totally agree. And my number four you talked about a little bit was the enemies. And I do like the enemy blocking where they block their own suit. It makes attacking them very different. I agree it can lead to some swinginess, especially if you get a diamond followed by a diamond. But it makes you think differently for each of the bosses. Otherwise, it'd just be defeat four bosses of this life, right? So for me, it makes me think differently for each boss. Oh, no, I can't double down on this one. Oh, no, I can't, you know, block on this one. So I better kill it quickly. That means I better play clubs or I better play diamonds. So that way I can draw my hand back up. So even when it does damage to me, I'm going to have a full hand of cards to deal with that damage. I like the way that they make you think differently. Also, when you defeat a boss, as Mike said, it goes into your deck. It can go into your deck in one of two ways. Number one, if you match the number exactly, it goes on top of the deck. So next time you draw cards, you will draw that card in and they do as much damage when they are played from your hand as they would do to you. So jacks do 10 damage, queens do 15 and kings do 20 damage. So it's really nice if you get that card exactly, if you match their uh, life value exactly, and it goes right on top of the deck. Even if you don't, though, it gets discarded to the discard pile. And then those with those hearts, 
you could shuffle them and hopefully get them back into your deck eventually. So I, I like how that's done. I like how the bosses are handled. Again, we're just talking about a deck of cards here, and we're not really talking about any special rules written down anywhere. You know, just need to know what the suits are. That's basically it. It's really clever what they've done with this small deck of cards. And so for me, I love how they differentiated the bosses, even without having to have any special rules. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure there's something we're going to talk about in the uh, kind of small game discussion, the idea of elegance of these designs. But we'll save that for later. Uh, My number two is a mix, and that is the luck of the draw. And the positive side of this for me is something Peter already mentioned. It can be very cool when you hold on to lower value cards and luck into getting a pair, even three of a kind, and get like these big combos with a bunch of different suit powers triggering at once. That's great. And also, just to be honest, this game, I would compare it to something like Klondike or traditional solitaire games, except it can also be played cooperatively in that the game's so fast (laughs) that, you know, the fact that sometimes the deck just totally messes you up and you cannot possibly win this game or you can't with the the hand you have, you know, isn't a big deal because you can just uh, set it up and play again in no time flat. So that's all good. But on the negative side, I do, even with that consideration, I do think it's frustrating when you get no diamonds and you just can't draw and you just die. Or when you get the wrong suit. and Or when you draw a bunch of low values, they're great for the doubles and the, the pair, or the pairs and the triples. But <laughs> it doesn't matter if you don't have enough to discard and you get killed by damage. So the game certainly ends on kind of an anemic, like, meh note sometimes where it's like, oh, I guess we died. It reminds me a little bit of The Crew. It's another one where I get frustrated with, like, the losses, but it's so quick to play again that it doesn't bother me as much as it could. But I guess it bothers me some because it's my number two looking at my list. (laughs) So clearly it's not my favorite thing. But again, it's a mix. It's not a full on con. I think the, the luck needs to be there. And it's like the only thing keeping the game even a little bit varied. So it's still a good thing. Yeah, my number one is the four suits. As we've talked about many times, it creates such an interesting puzzle that each suit does something different. And the other interesting part about it, and I can't remember if you covered this exactly in the rules, is each suit not only matters for the suit itself, so diamonds let you draw cards from the top of the deck, but also the number matters. So if you have a 10 of diamonds, you get to draw up to 10 cards. Now, you can't go over your max hand size, but and in multiplayer, that counts between the players. So the player who played it draws the first one, the second one draws the second one. So it's an interesting combination. It makes cool special powers. Hearts, seemingly the weakest of all the suits, just takes your life cards and lets you shuffle them up and randomly put however many on the bottom of the deck based on the number of the cards. So if it's eight, you shuffle up all the cards in the discard, you put eight on the bottom. That seems weak, but there are so many games early on when I was playing this that I lost because I had diamonds to draw cards, but I didn't have enough cards in that draw pile to draw. So even hearts, which seems the weakest, actually comes into play in a lot of the games. I just think it's clever how all of them seem important at certain times. Now, the one thing I will say is if you don't have any diamonds, you've basically lost the game. I think if nobody has diamonds, unless it's the very end of the game, if you're not able to draw cards back into your hand, you cannot win. So when you're discarding cards, when they do damage to you, if they do 11 damage, you have to discard 11 points of cards in your hand. It's sometimes a tough decision what to discard because you know you can't discard those diamonds. Even if I only have a four of diamonds, a lot of times I'll keep it because that's four cards that we can draw, which will add up to a lot more value than maybe even that seven value club would. So I will say that the suits aren't all even, but they are all part of the puzzle, which I think is really cool. So for me, it's my number one point. It's the thing that makes this game stand out. Without it, I don't think it'd be much of a game at all. 
yep, I can't argue with that. My number one is also a pro and not like something specific about the mechanics. It's just the fact that it is a 52-card deck co-op. And I've never seen one of those before. Not that I've really looked very hard, but every card game I've seen with a regular deck of cards is either competitive or solitaire. So I think it's just really cool that it exists. And it's better than most of those 52-card deck games. You know, like, I might still like something like Spades or Hearts or Bridge, but this is a really, really cool game. And I, I enjoy it a lot for what it is. The fact that I can play this basically for free with the decks I already have around my house or pay 15 to get some great art just by printing out some, you know, three pages of rules from the internet, I think is fabulous. And, and for me, at least, is the game's greatest selling point, just its accessibility to anybody. Uh, they can all try it out and see if they like it. And I recommend you do. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be the best game ever. It's going to like be on the top of your list, but I, I think you might enjoy it. Yeah, and that goes right into final thoughts. I agree with you, and you you brought up a great point. It's like playing solitaire. And, and again, not necessarily in co-op mode. I, I actually do think there's cooperation. Again, with the talking caveat that, you know, I don't mind talking strategy. Like, hey, remember, if we don't have any diamonds, we can't win the game, right? Like, not, hey, I'm playing a seven. If you have a three in your hand, we could get to the boss's number, right? I think there's a difference. I, I'd never talk about numbers, but I may say, especially if I don't have a diamond, I may say something like, hey, remember, if we don't have any diamonds, we're definitely going to lose. Or this is a spade. So remember, we should probably play some clubs or diamonds here. So not necessarily alpha gaming. Maybe some people would consider it alpha gaming, but more talking strategy like, hey, don't forget, this could be the end of us if we play this out wrong. Yeah. And uh, I mean, my final thoughts, this is one that I recommend you play. It's not going to be on the top of my list in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> uh, I think it's worth trying out. I think it's cool that it's accessible. But I'll be honest that basically every game in my collection that is solo or co-op, I enjoy more than this one. This is literally your least favorite game? Come on. Of all the ones that I'm keeping in my collection, which you know is very actively called and is pretty small. Sure, but you get rid of some good games. All right, that that's fine. I was about to say, this can't be your least favorite. I can point out 20 right now. No, no, it's, it's, it is way better than a lot of published games. Like, it is way better than lots of published games. But here's the other thing, and this goes into the design discussion. I'm not a big fan of small games and micro games. I like games that play quickly, but I want variety. And this didn't come up in either of our lists, but I think it's a major knock against it if you see it as anything other than a quick, like, just uh, spend a little bit of time game. There's no variety here. Yes, I agree with that. The tactical choices are always interesting. Like, what do I discard? That's yes. always going to be tense. It's never quite obvious, although it's sometimes kind of obvious. But yeah, like, I, I don't know. I've seen a lot of people on the Discord say, I played it, I beat it after a few games, I never want to play it again. And I don't feel that negatively about it. I'm fine. I'd be fine to break this out or play solo when I'm bored. But I'm along the same lines. It's not like there's that much to see compared to games that have a lot more meat to them. And that's just the nature of the beast. It's a little $0 or $15 game and good for them. You know, <laughs> they're doing great and I'm happy for them. But yeah, it, it doesn't have a lot to keep me coming back. I will compare it to a game like The Mind, and don't get me wrong, you know me, I think The Mind is great and way better than this game, but I compare it to The Mind in the fact that typically The Mind, I'm not going to play for four hours one night. I'm not just going to keep playing it over and over and grind it down and beat it like five times in a row and like try to challenge myself new ways with playing it, but playing it with new groups, playing it as a quick filler, you know, one or two games between games, I think is great. I think it does really good at that. And like you said, I think it's just as good solo. And I think it's fun solo as well. So I am definitely not as negative as you are. Look, it's not 
going to be at the top of my year end list, but it's certainly not the worst game I've played this year. And for 15 bucks and or for free, I would definitely recommend trying it. No question about it. This is probably the best game for free that I've ever played. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes, yes. And I don't mean like review copies where I didn't have to pay anything for them. I mean like where the game literally is free. (laughs) Nice. All right, but let's get into that discussion about small games. And you and I don't do this very well. Let's be honest. (laughs) So maybe we're going to need some help from the audience on this one. Well, I think Dark Dealings is almost there. That's basically the equivalent of two decks of cards, so only twice as many cards as Regicide, and that's all the components you need. Sure, although it's much more complex than a lot of these small games. When I think of small games, I often think of small rules as well, and maybe that's a flaw in my own thinking, right? Because I agree with you. I'm not a huge fan of micro games. I'm not a huge fan of rolling rights. Like, I don't like these games typically that don't require a lot of brain power, which is funny because I love games like The Mind. And the mind, in my mind, is a perfect example of what you can do with less than 200 cards or whatever, 150 cards, which I guess isn't even small when I think about it, because there are certainly 100 cards there. So yeah, I don't know. Where's our definition of uh, small games cut off, I guess? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you got micro games where it's nine cards or 18 cards. Something I'll say about those, like looking at uh, button shy games, for example, where they have these wallet games. A lot of them get a lot out of their cards. Absolutely. And I, I want to be clear that there's my personal opinion and like talking about the design themselves. I think this is a huge kind of achievement in a lot of these games, like having cards where, <laughs> you know, if you rotate them one of three ways on either of two faces, they do different things. So it's like you're turning 18 cards into what is that times six, 72 cards or more than that. So I think that's really, really cool. But personally, I like the micro games that are hitting that elegance and that like minimalism and not having as much going on. Right. Like I'm thinking this is not a great game, but love letter. Like that's one that I would say is very elegant. It's very simple rules. It's very uh, quick. One that I would say is right on the elegance line, but still has a ton of depth, which is why it's my favorite micro game is Sprawlopolis. Uh, This one just has a front of the card and then the back has these goals, which changes up your scoring every game in a genius move. So I think that really gets a ton out of the 18 cards without kind of cluttering them up. Whereas some of these ones were like, I'm turning them like 15 different ways. I don't always love that personally. But how do you feel, Peter, about kind of like this elegance idea and fitting a ton of stuff onto one card? Well, I agree with you. And that's why one of my favorite small games is The Mind. I think it does a great job with just using cards without using a whole lot of other components in a small box. And for like, what, 15, 20 bucks or whatever, like it's great where most of the gameplay is the player's interactions. And I think you're right. Love Letter did a great job of that. That's why people loved it. And everybody tried to emulate it. And honestly, I don't think many people have succeeded or anybody has succeeded in doing what that game did with making the play between the players and not the complexity of the rules. That's one of the reasons I like Regicide so much is there's two pages of rules. Really, the third page of rules is the solo rules. And they're not even that complicated. So I agree with you that if you're making a small game for me, I want elegance there too. And I think they get a lot of things out of Pinball 4K as well with a very small rule set. It's two pages of rules. And I think that might be right, right? If you're doing less than 100 cards, I kind of want my rule book to be that small too. And that's why I guess I don't think of Dark Dealings as a small game because for the size of the game, there's a lot of rules there and there's a lot of pages of rules. And so that's where it goes bigger than a small game for me. 
I, I don't know. I, I guess a lot of people would consider that a small game, though, because it is a small box. It's still 20 bucks or whatever. So it fits in that same packaging. Well, and, and it's not, like, for those who have not played Dark Dealings, it's not a complicated game. <laughs> the, the rule book font is pretty big, and we just tried to explain everything. You know what I mean? But yeah, I, th- I think most people would consider that a small game. It also plays very quickly, which tends to be a hallmark of these kind of games. Another thing that's a big uh, selling point of them, I know a lot of people get them for this, is that they're portable and that they uh, can be played in a small space. I mean, I guess a few of them can sprawl a bit, but generally they're very, very contained. You know, you even have ones like Palm Island. Uh, there's a bunch of these like kind of uh, imitating this idea of the entire game is played in one or two hands. And, you know, th- that's all you need. <laughs> you don't need a table space at all. So, and again, this is just me. Like, I, I don't need to go into the design discussion with this, but none of those appeal to me because I don't care. <laughs> right. I'm not like traveling on an airplane all the time. I don't need to play on the palm of my head. Like, it's a fun gimmick. I'm impressed that you made it work, but I'd rather play a game that I think has more going on or is better for my taste or even for a light game. I'd rather play like a light game with more theme in it than like a game that happens to use nine cards. Like I think it's cool and I think it's great that they can do it cheaply, but it does not interest me also as a designer. Like I don't, I know there's tons of contests for these kind of things. I personally don't want to like do them, but again, I respect the designers to do. I've talked to several people who do a lot of these uh, micro games and, they're smarter than me. I, I don't know how they figure out some of like the interplay they get between the card effects. It's really cool the way their brains work. Yeah, it's funny. When you think that more rules is going to lead to harder design because it's like, oh, man, you designed 50 pages of rules worth of stuff. No, it's actually easier to put your thoughts on 50 pages than it is to put them on two pages and make them clear and succinct and make the game fun and playable, right? So I, I do think there is a lot of talent that is involved. And I agree with you, though. It's not in my purview to do those smaller games. Part of it is that you and I like lots of interacting mechanisms, and I think it's possible. So what do you think of these games, though? What do you think of San Juan and Race for the Galaxy? Do you think those are small games? Because those are $25-ish games that are just decks of cards, right? Like, where where do we draw the line here? Well, it's interesting. I would say, like, San Juan, maybe. But Race, it's hard to separate from the fact that it's been expanded and they have, you know, you got to have a big box to fit all the stuff in it. And even the original game of Race had more going on and more cards, I believe, than San Juan. San Juan had a ton of like duplicates and not that much stuff. I mean, I don't know. I I guess I would think of those. Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of the same level of components as something like Dark Dealings. But I don't know. A, A lot of a lot of it comes down to the experience, you know, like if Regicide took an hour to play and had way more variety and complicated rules, I would not think of it in the same place. Or something like Bullet. You know, Bullet is a is a big size box and it costs like 40 bucks or something. It, it's a quick game. It's a simple game to teach, but I don't think of it as like a small game because those kind of games bring up the limitations to me as well. Except for maybe Sparlopolis, which again is like a genius design for me. I don't sit down to play something like Regicide and expect it to be deep and engaging and have variety. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, all right, it's going to be something quick. It's going to be something simple. And, you know, no worries. <laughs> and it sounds like you wouldn't want that either, because some of the rolling rates now, that's what they're going for, right? They're going for more complexity. They're like, hey, it's like a medium weight euro. That's a rolling rate. Sure. Uh, hey, Hadrian's Wall. I mean, I do want to play that one because it's getting such love on our Discord. But yeah, like the idea of it, like, hey, it's rolling right mechanics. But there's the sheet is <laughs> tons of icons and it takes like over an hour to play. I'm not sure if well, I, I don't know, because I don't really want to play roller rights in general. So maybe that would be better for me. I, it, it's hard to say until I try it. 
So, I mean, we're kind of getting away from the subject, but it is bringing up the point that just because it is in a category like roll and write doesn't mean it has to be a small game. So, I mean, one of my favorite games, and I know you're going to laugh at me for this of all time, and I played it a lot growing up, was Yahtzee. I mean, that's five dice and a score pad, right? I mean, the original roll and write. I love that game. I mean, I love the rolling three times mechanic. I love the push your luck mechanic. I love the straights and full houses, and that's how I learned poker hands. For me, it was just something that was fun to pull out as a kid and just play with somebody. And I realize it's got the same problem as a lot of rolling rights, which is just who can score the most points. But for me, watching somebody else roll and watching them fail was some of the funnest parts of it or watching them succeed and then get that sense of loss in my own self. So I I think it's crazy that what people can come up with, with just like a sheet of paper and some dice or less than a hundred cards. I really do admire those designs. But as you've said, they typically don't appeal for me. And I'm trying to figure out why. Well, it's interesting you bring it up because one of my favorites, uh, you know, definitely riffing off of Yahtzee was by Reiner Knizia. Have you ever played the Cathalon? Did we ever play that together? I have the print and play rules for it, but I've never actually played it. Yeah, it is a blast, like, to play with a big group. And it's all about, like, it's these very simple games. I guess, Decath- is it 10? Yes. Ten, uh, yeah, 10 competitions. So they got, like, really simple rules. And it's mostly, like, push your luck. Or just complete luck of the draw. Like, I think the the jumps, like the high jump and the long jump are just literally just, did you roll higher than everybody else? Good job. <laughs> right. But it's a lot of fun when you put them all together and you're like, ah, I got the gold in this one. Ha ha ha. You know, like, especially with uh, four or five people. So, yeah, no, I, I, I like simplistic games, but in a way I go for games like that that are goofier. If they don't have the variety, if they don't have kind of the depth. Then I want it to be like silly and fun, which I, I would put the mind in that category. I, I've never played the mind and had it be like a serious affair. It's always like oh, yeah. laughing and then, and, and, you know, <laughs> cursing because something went wrong. Whereas, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to like laugh playing Regicide. And that's, again, not a knock against the game. It's just my own personal taste. But I, I don't know. G- games that are micro, but like trying to be more strategic or more mechanical are not as fun for me as like goofy dice rolling, I think. Now, getting to the design side of things, how do you think you would even go about designing something like this? I think you have to go in with the mindset as a design constraint. Okay, how do I design something with one or two pages of rules with 54 cards or whatever else it is? I think you have to go in with that mindset. And it's a very different mindset and one that you and I haven't gone in with. In fact, a lot of times we try to design something small and it ends up getting way bigger than we thought anyway. We, Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think a lot of it comes down to streamlining and stripping things away because, you know, there are a lot of games that have a whole bidding round. And do you need that bidding round? Or they have an extra phase of the game. Do you need that extra phase of the game? What if uh, Ink and Gold? Ink and Gold is one of our favorites for a quick push your luck. Maybe I guess it's kind of a micro game, but it's, it's certainly a small game. Uh, that that's one of my favorites and you know if they had combat in that <laughs> like instead of you just uh, losing and running away when two of the same type of hazard came up if you had to like fight it and you rolled uh, like dice against it i could see somebody designing that and you would need to have the courage or the gumption to take something away and that, that's something they say like in a lot of creative endeavors right like book writing and movie making you have to be able to delete your favorite scene you have to be able to kill your darlings get rid of your favorite character So, yeah, I think a lot of it comes from being able to strip things away and just get down to the best part of the game. Although, again, for me, like, I don't know if that's a great goal to go for, because maybe your game could be way more awesome with a few more things going on. (laughs) Maybe that one mechanic is too simple. Well, what do you think of it as a building block? 
So, for example, if you're introducing something new and interesting, then making that like a base game and then using it as a building block to either expand it or now I'm going to use that Dominion deck building mechanic. That first game was a building block to what my next game is rather than introducing 20 new mechanics when you're first introducing game. I guess they did this with the uh, deck crafting game mystic veil right that was a building block for their bigger game that came out later and they said well this game's great but it's too much it's too much to introduce all at once so let's build this other game which was mystic veil to introduce people to the system now it's funny that mystic veil is the one people remember now and not the more complicated one well they they, they might have been right i guess (laughs) right yeah sometimes maybe it is better to strip out things and maybe you do take it 10 steps too far I mean, well, th- that's weird for me for separate games and instead of expansions. Like, if you look at Core World, I think the core game works great by itself. And then if you add in Galactic Orders, it can make it a lot crunchier if that's what you want. But if the designer had released Core Worlds and then a couple of years later released a game that was just like Core Worlds with a different theme and different art and it also included Galactic Orders, I would personally feel like, well... <laughs> I own 90% of this game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, could you not have just, like, made this my game? <laughs> so... Right. Yeah, I don't know. And, and it's weird for me because all of that is part of the iteration process of designing anyway. You know, like we'll get one thing right of a game and then we'll use that in a new design or we'll add on some other things. So the idea that I'll just like stop, like if we had stopped with Dark Dealings, we were like, hey, the combat system is cool. We're going to publish this whole game that's just the combat system while we work on figuring other things out. <laughs> Personally, me, that seems a little weird. I know that's not how it would go. Like that's not sure. the way the decision would be. It would probably be more like you publish the best game you can. And then you see the possibilities or you want to expand on it later. And that's totally fine. Well, and I guess that was part of the design goal for Dark Dealings too, right? It wasn't meant to be a combat system. When you were originally thinking of it, it was really a game that you wanted to emulate for sale, the drafting and the buying and and the using those cards to draft other cards. And then you wanted the combat to enhance it, right? Well, no, I, I actually, it's funny. I, I did a playthrough by Patreon request of Dark Dealing. So for anyone who's like, what the heck is this game? You'll see it soon on the YouTube channel. But yeah, I, j- just to remind you, Peter, the combat system came first and it was a bidding game, but it was entirely like money-based bidding. Oh, it was yeah, no, a, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, it, it was an awesome epiphany from some uh, testers, some friends at uh, a con. It was Richard Lonius, actually, who said take out the money. Was it? Yep. But Richard Lonis was not the one who had the for sale idea. He said, take out the money. And then two of our friends from Unpub, I can't remember who it was. No, no, it was more like for sale originally. Originally, you bought with money and then you use those cards to buy the other cards. So so we had it almost identical to for sale at one point. Now you just draft. You do like a Sushi Go or a fairy tale type draft first or seven. Oh, man, you're reminding me. Yeah, so Lonius said to get rid of the money. And then the other two guys who I can't remember, they were the ones who said swap the strengths so you're like encouraged to get the worst hero because it'll also buy you the best defense which made like all the decisions way more interesting in the game so yeah i I, it's it's so many years ago now i'm just forgetting the entire (laughs) process there and that was like a whirlwind of two days at one convention anyway Crap, I don't remember where the question was, but yes. No, no, but but bottom line is, I mean, because that is a small game that we kind of developed from the beginning, and we just, you had one mechanic, right? You had the combat mechanic. It's like, okay, how do we build around this? But the combat we thought was so good and so fun, we didn't want the rest of the game to bog it down. No, it's interesting because I think a lot of people think of it more for the for sale aspect than the combat aspect now, but we liked the combat and we wanted to design a simple game around that combat. And I think that's how we were able to make it so small. It's like, okay, the game should focus on this combat 
And so how do we make the rest of it small enough that the combat really stands out and shines? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, we've kind of gotten into our own design process and, and memory lane, but uh, hopefully those are a few pieces of information that might be helpful to you <laughs> if you're thinking about doing your own micro game or your own small game. I don't know. I feel like I was complaining half the time, so I apologize. Uh, any micro designers out there, uh, like I said, I admit that you're probably better at designing than I am because I need all the Chrome and extra stuff to make my games work. So <laughs> good, good on you. Well done. Yeah, no, and I mean, I think that's the big thing, though. I think have a idea in mind what you're going for. And this is true for any design, but like you and I like micro designs to be really simple, but people are doing crunchy things and, and other people are enjoying that right now. So just know what you want going in and stick with that vision. If you want it to stay small, keep it small, do things to remove complexities from the game. If you want the game to be complex for what you have, then work toward that goal. But I would say, don't limit yourself to the detriment of the game right? So don't say I need to have a two page rule book and then don't explain how to play the game, right? We've definitely complained about games that have done this in the past that have bragged about their small rule books and they don't come together right because they're so worried about their constraints. So know what you're designing. Know if you're designing a smaller game, then you have to stick within those constraints and be willing to do that and be willing to cut stuff rather than trying to make it bigger than what it is and adding something else and adding something else. At some point, it's no longer that small game and it's moved on to a medium weight game and be either willing to accept that or know that you've got to cut some stuff back and be willing to cut that stuff back. But if you try to do a hybrid approach where it's like a small game, but it does a whole lot of stuff, I think that's where people get lost in translation because it's also something else we've discussed in the past. It becomes a confusing point for your buyer because people see the small game and some people like those, but they are not going to like that medium to heavier weight game. And some people want medium to heavy games, but they, they're not looking for that in that small box. So now you've marketed yourself to the wrong people just based on the size of the box. So I think if you're building small games, you should enjoy those games yourself and you should play them a lot and understand what people like in small games. Yeah, and for my final uh, points, just to kind of close it out, something that I we I think we both forgot to mention, probably the main reason these games exist in a lot of cases, is that people can print and play them, and they just pay you for five or ten dollars, or you can sell the entire game for ten bucks or maybe fifteen bucks or less than ten bucks sometimes. So it is certainly if you just want to get some games out there and have people play in your games and hear their feedback and stuff, maybe make a little bit of money at the same time. It is a much quicker and simpler uh, way to do things than, uh, you know, trying to make a giant 50 or 70 or $100 game that takes you like three years to design and develop. So yeah, I, I think that might be one of the biggest benefits of these types of games. So keep that in mind if you want to do a kind of smaller micro game. Cool. And we totally forgot about the tiny epic games, but we'll get into them another time. Yeah, I mean, well, for, for me, the, the reason I don't tend to like them is that they are neither tiny nor epic. <laughs> right, right. They're, they're that middle ground. And some people are going to love that. But again, you have to set that expectation. And maybe they do that with their naming convention, right? Like they're like, this is a small game, but it's going to be more than you're expecting. Maybe it's not epic the way you and I think, but at least it's understandable that it's more than just a tiny game. They're small box, 20 bucks. They kind of fit in the category. But again, I think they take up more space and they're more complex than a lot of the games that we've been talking about here today. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Go play some little games. Uh, check out the Dark Dealings video when that's out so you can see what we're talking about because it's basically impossible to find to actually buy it. Yep. And thanks for joining us again and hope to see you at a convention soon. Bye. Bye bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. 
Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Hey, Mike. Yeah. I got something tiny to show you. Dude, don't say that. <laughs> what are you doing? I got a deck of cards. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah. yeah. Regicide. 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 Good, good call. What were you thinking about? Regicide.